It was the trial of the century, a Kafkaesque witch hunt or a decades-old acquisition of justice for a victim of a heinous crime, a national Rorschach test, one that had divided the nation and galvanized partisans on both sides. I'm Yelena Lowe. Yelena, give me my mic. That's my sister. And we're recording live from her beachside bunker. Of course, I'm Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth. This is the political pregame. Sit down and have a beer with us. After a week of political grandstanding, passionate testimonies, and perhaps one of the most heated news cycles of the Trump administration. And that's definitely saying something. You'll need it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Tiana and I were planning on having an episode come out yesterday. However, I was sidelined in bed with violent food poisoning all day, clearly just sick to my stomach over what's going on with the judicial branch of government. Um, But in all seriousness, let's get down to the nitty gritty of what actually happened in those hearings on Thursday. What we're drinking. And what we're drinking. We're drinking beer in honor of Keg City Kavanaugh. There were questions that were answered in the hearing. There were questions that were diverted. But the most hard-hitting question of all, and the one that the American people needed to hear the answer to, was Kavanaugh's stance on beer. I think the most disqualifying thing for any Supreme Court justice nominee is not knowing their stance on beer and if they don't like beer. So we've heard it probably at least 10 times from Kavanaugh in his testimony. He liked beer, and he still likes beer. Everybody likes beer. I'm, I'm happy to know I that. Really like I think <laughs> that's really the only reason we had the hearing to begin with. And so, great, now we can move forward. I know RGB likes to crack open a Natty Light and shotgun in under five seconds. Um, so knowing that he still likes beer is obviously important to the American people and a point that he really tried to get across, and I think he definitely got that across, which was great to I think hear. That, I think we can unanimously say, Keg City Kavanaugh. <laughs> enjoys a cold one with the boys. Um, I wish that he was more definitive on some other responses, but to be discussed, I guess, you guys will hear our opinion later on. So first, let's do our takes, and then I think we can get into the nitty-gritty and debate it. But overall, because I know that this has been an extremely polarizing week in American politics, and I think that we had... Millions of people watching the exact same thing with radically different takeaways. So, Avery, what was your take on Ford's testimony and Kavanaugh's testimony? Yeah, definitely. And I think what I would like to mention just before even going into my opinions on this is where those opinions are coming from. I think it's important to note with the stance that I have on this issue now, it's not something that's coming from a partisan angle in that I'm a Democrat and I just don't want Republicans to get their nominee. That's not the case. I don't believe in that political grandstanding nonsense, some of which we've obviously seen take place. But my stance on Kavanaugh and my concerns regarding him as a potential Supreme Court justice are not rooted in partisan politics. They're rooted in just the individual and the concerns that I have with him as a person. Had we seen another nominee... um, come forward from Trump's shortlist, I wouldn't have the same stance that I do now. So I just want to forewarn everyone by saying this isn't about me being a Democrat and me opposing anything Republican. This is about me potentially opposing this individual for the Supreme Court, not any Republican nominee for the Supreme Court. That being said, I think throughout this entire process, myself, along with probably a lot of any the population that has been following what's taken place and it's really been hard not to even if you're someone who doesn't watch or listen to the news um my opinion has definitely changed and evolved and different ways that I thought I was leaning have shifted as well I think just to walk you through my mindset and where I was at every step in this is watching Ford's testimony I think myself along with even a lot of other Republicans I know anchors on Fox News as well they found her very compelling, as did I. I think I was impressed with how open and transparent she was throughout the entire process while also coming off as sincere and obviously someone with great intellect. And what I really appreciated was her ability to answer every question, not beat around the bush, not 
divert away from certain talking points, even at some points at, I guess, contradictory to the advice of her own counsel. Her counsel at certain points uh, interrupted and objected to the prosecutor, um, her line of questioning, saying, you asked um, Dr. Ford not to estimate or not to guess, and that's exactly what you're doing here in this question. And Dr. Ford actually would just kind of defy her own counsel and answer the question. Anyways, I think you saw a really earnest effort on her end to provide the panel and to provide the American public and, and even global world who was watching the to the best of her ability, her truth as she knew it and all of the facts that she had. Then you go to Kavanaugh's testimony, which I think going into it, I was thinking, wow, he's got to be really compelling because Dr. Ford just delivered something that I think was very moving to a lot of people and very credible to a lot of people. His opening remarks, uh, his opening statement, which was about 45 minutes long, I found him to be definitely very compelling. I think almost compelling in an opposite way of how Dr. Ford was with Dr. Ford being very measured and stoic in, in ways, I guess you could call it steadfast. And with him on the other end, coming out very heated, very angry, livid, some would say. I know he faced a lot of criticism for this. However, I, I don't fault him for his anger, wherever that anger may stem from, whether the anger stems from him being a completely innocent man, being accused of something that he absolutely had no act in doing and that he took no part in, or whether it stands with him thinking that, you know, basically the biggest job he's been up for in his career or will be up for in his career is now going to be stripped away and everything he's worked toward is being stripped away despite potentially the fact that he did do this, which I think Tiana and I can both acknowledge that no one knows if he did this or not. And that's why I think the people saying on either side definitively Kavanaugh did this or Kavanaugh didn't do this. I think that's wrong and that's jumping the gun and that shouldn't be said. I think it's, it's okay to say where you're leaning, but to, act definitively and say things as if you know the complete truth when no one knows the complete truth, I think is definitely a misstep. So anyways, I found his opening remarks solid, good, came out with fire under his butt, whatever. And I think it's okay to be angry, but where he lost me and where he continued to lose me throughout his testimony is after his opening remarks when he was being questioned either by the prosecutor or members of the uh, Senate Judiciary Panel when he instead was not angry, he became combative. I think there's a time and place to be angry. I think he did that well in his opening remarks, painted the picture as he wanted to paint it. But at the end of the day, whether you think that you should be in this position or not in front of the panel, you also have to respect the fact that these are very serious allegations. This is a very big appointment, a very big decision, one that will follow America for the rest of his lifetime until he would step down from the Supreme Court. And you have to have a certain level of respect for that process and wanting to provide people with the best information possible. Especially if you are saying that you are completely innocent, then why not be as transparent as possible, just like Dr. Ford was? Why not have nothing to hide? Because in my opinion, I know his, his main thing was that he was upset that obviously his name has been potentially permanently tarnished as a result of this. His, his name, his family, his career has been dragged through the mud and he can be angry about that, deservingly so, rightfully so. However, if you wanna clear your name, then give the full truth. Show the American public that you're human. Show the judiciary panel that you're human. Don't look like you're being deceitful and that you have something to hide. I think despite probably all the advice he got on his testimony and all the the personal thought he gave toward his testimony and how he was going to defend certain things, I think he took the completely wrong approach in that regard. Not being able to show that he was human, that he has faults, I think that worked against him. I know that he maybe didn't want to admit to too much in terms of potentially drinking too much, as we all do. Um, he didn't want to admit to to that possibility because it would allow people to poke holes in his testimony or his credibility. But I think ironically, by not admitting that he really had any faults, that worked against him. And so I've reread the testimony a couple times since uh, from the transcripts of, of the hearing. And the more and more that I've thought about it, the more and more I've become a little bit disillusioned with Kavanaugh because of the fact that he was diverting, answering these questions, and he was kind of unwilling to, in my opinion, 
be as transparent as possible. I think Tiana and I can get in into, and debate certain questions that I was really upset with not hearing his answer on, but that's kind of where I stand now. So I'm in a position where I believe that something happened to Dr. Ford, and I'm in a position where I'm not sure if Kavanaugh did anything, but what I am sure of is that he was not being as cooperative as he could have been. And that is what really makes me worried. So <clears throat> I'll get into my, uh, we'll get into our takes in terms of how both political parties handled this later on in this episode. But with regards to the specific testimonies, I'd like to preface this by pointing out that everyone needs to show at least a modicum more respect for every party at hand that they've currently been showing. This has been one of the most disheartening weeks in politics. The amount of people on the right pulling the card. It doesn't matter if he did it. No, I wouldn't care if someone did this to my daughter. Yes, you would. You would care if someone attempted to rape your daughter. Kavanaugh's defense is not that he did it, but to give him a pass, it is that he did not do it. Alternately, attacking Dr. Ford is a liar specifically plays into this paradigm as you were describing Avery that we do not know definitively. I think that attacking Dr. Ford as a liar is not only bad optically in terms of defending Kavanaugh, but also we don't know what we do know is this. We have two testimonies. We have a woman who presented her, her case extremely well in terms of personal testimony. She came across as honest and composed and earnest and as I have repeatedly said, I am hard pressed to believe that someone would lie to a therapist six years ago about an assault. I think that a mainstream opinion, something that most of us can agree on, is that there is compelling evidence that she is traumatized by an assault. The question is, was it Kavanaugh? And the evidence that we have at this point is mostly circumstantial, pretty much no material evidence. We have her therapist notes, which during the hearing, she did no favors to, Dr. Ford did no favors to herself by not affirmatively saying that the Washington Post had read them. Because apparently the therapist notes were never turned over to the Senate Judiciary Committee to be evaluated as confidential evidence. So she said she could not recall if the Washington Post had ever directly seen the notes or even though that's what the Washington Post reporter had written. She said that she could not recall who paid for the polygraph test that she had taken, even though polygraph tests obviously are inadmissible at court, in court. But the point is, if I'm a prosecutor, you have a lot of certainty on Kavanaugh's side and a lot of ambiguity on Dr. Ford's side. And this is not to say that Dr. Ford is lying. This is not to say that Dr. I mean, she's going against one of the best legal minds in the country. It's why he's a SCOTUS nominee. And she, in her own right, is obviously extremely intelligent. Her, her description of trauma was something unlike anything I've ever seen in, in, a, in a rape case or in a sexual assault case. But what you, and then on top of that, the most compelling evidence, the thing that I think most reasonable people, not the people who are backing Roy Moore at the end of his Senate run, not the people who are always going to go for the GOP ticket no matter what. But I think most reasonable people, Republicans with a soul, would say that if one person could testify, yeah, I saw her the next day and she seemed really upset about something, or I was at that party and everyone was there. I didn't see anything, but everyone was there. Then it would give a lot more credence to the idea that you have Judge lying, Kavanaugh lying, but if this one friend, Leland now, what's the last name, Dolphin? Or no, 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 I'm mixing up last names. I'm mixing up last names. But the, but because I'm, yeah, Dolphin is the Renata story that I'm sure we'll get into later. But you have her one female liberal lifelong friend saying she has not only no recollection of this party, but she also does not recall ever meeting Kavanaugh. So my point is this. Her testimony itself was compelling. But an allegation, the existence of an allegation does not prove the veracity of the allegation, no matter how poignant it is or how, no matter how much it rings true. Kavanaugh, on the other hand, I think there are, so let's make two hypothetical scenarios. One in which he is 100% guilty and knows it, 
and one in which he is 100% innocent and knows it. In both hypotheticals, he should be as angry as he was because in one hypothetical, he's lying about attempting to rape someone. So of course you're going to be defensive. In the other hypothetical, you are being accused of one of the worst crimes anyone can possibly accuse you of. One of the worst crimes. I don't care what Dennis Prager wants to say about it just being a teenage indiscretion. No, attempting to rape someone is one of the worst crimes you can commit. So I think with Kavanaugh, the fact that there is no evidence it does not harm his case that he was mad. I, I am open to the idea that I think that the whole Lindsey Graham exchange was extremely polarizing. I think that you have people on the right saying, finally, Kavanaugh's fighting back. The Republican Party is fighting back against leftist bullies. They're making it very clear that if you do not comply with leftism, the left will destroy you and we have to fight back. And then I think that everyone left of the aisle, saw that, and thought, what an entitled, pompous douche. And I think both can be true. But putting yourself in Kavanaugh's shoes, I am extremely sympathetic to Kavanaugh. I think the truest moment was the anecdote in which he said that his 10-year-old daughter asked for his family to pray for Dr. Ford. And, I, I mean, either both of them are insane, or either one of them is an insane sociopath who just is one of the most evil people on earth, or they both believe that they are telling the truth because both testimonies rang true. Where this sits for me is that I believe that it is more likely than not that Dr. Ford was assaulted. I believe it is more likely than not that Kavanaugh is innocent. I know that people have been mocking the idea that she could be mistaken in who it was, I, based on my own personal research and my own personal discussions with, with psychologists and with experts on the matter, I believe that a combination of time plus trauma plus alcohol could lead her to misremember who it was. I think that any personal attacks on Dr. Ford are completely unwarranted. Right now, there's no evidence that she is willfully lying or that she is being malicious in any way. But if I were a senator right now, I would vote, Yes, to confirm, because this did become a criminal trial, and it's, it's both Republicans and Democrats' fault that they took this allegation, and now the thing that's even being posed in the media is, can Kavanaugh still coach his daughter's basketball team? Would you trust him with your daughters? That's like, this is life-ruining stuff. He, this is this is life-ruining stuff. This became a criminal trial. They brought in a criminal prosecutor. They, so... I'm usually, I, I've never been in the coalition of the right that gets angry about like, but what about due process? What about like in term, when it comes to court of public opinion? Because court of public opinion doesn't have due process. But there must be a consistent evidentiary standard that we hold to when it comes to assessing these claims. Again, all it would take for me to, to say vote no on Kavanaugh right now is if one witness came forward to contemporaneously corroborate that, 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 this, that she said that this happened at the time. I'm not even saying anyone in the room. Obviously, Judge and Kavanaugh are, gonna, are going to say it didn't happen. But that all the other party attendees say it didn't happen. We don't have a date. We don't have a place. We don't have anything. We have no actual evidence. Can you sentence someone to be branded as an attempted rapist for the rest of his life with no evidence? Again, all it would take is one testimony. So where I stand on it, I would vote yes. This in no way indicates that Ford is either willfully or unwillfully lying. Okay, and where I stand with it, if I didn't make it clear, is that I personally would vote no. And it's not because I wholeheartedly, indisputably believe that Kavanaugh is guilty. It's because, as I alluded to before, to be honest, I think what speaks to his character more is how he carried himself in that hearing and the unnecessary little white lies that he told. I feel as though I don't want someone on the court who in that setting isn't going to provide everyone with the whole truth, isn't going to provide any, everyone with any detail possible okay. to exonerate himself. Just, just, just what specific points did you take grievance with? Just because I want to make sure we're talking about like the same things. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think so there were certain points that he said that even people who have been to high school with him or been to college with him um, have came out with after the fact saying, I think he misconstrued that he wasn't being completely honest. That's not how it was interpreted with all of our high school friends or all of our colleges, college friends. Um, one main aspect for me was and, and to me, I'm like, why lie unnecessarily? The fact that he had to overemphasize the fact of we drank beer. I like beer. I still like beer. As if what? You've never consumed any other form of alcohol. And yet in his own personal opening statement, he said that sometimes I drink too much beer. Okay, well then question when questioned on that, he would not admit to throwing up from alcohol. The the instance where they said that someone had said that he's thrown up from alcohol, he blamed it on having spicy food. Um, he would not admit to temporary lapses in memory, lapses in judgment, or blackouts. Can from, I can I can I from just drinking just one specific point? He didn't say temporary lapses in judgment. So la- he, lapses he, in memory, lapses in memory, lapses just, in I just memory, think that's a big distinction. Um, blackouts from drinking. I that is just so highly improbable to me. I don't care who you are, especially if you're someone in high school drinking with the boys all summer, underage. I'm sorry, but you've definitely had a mistake or two drinking, just like all of us have. And the defense of not partying during a weekday because you were on your high school basketball team and high school football team, to me and to anyone else who's ever competed in athletics and also managed the intersection of athletics and high caliber academics, that's an absolutely laughable defense. If anything, I would have preferred him to say, well, I didn't drink on weekdays because that was a rule in our household. We weren't allowed. My parents didn't let me. Not, I was too busy lifting weights at Tobin's house or whatever the heck his name was to We're drink. We're going to mess up all because the names this episode. To, We're so to be sorry honest with you, myself, I have represented Canada in two different sports, been to two World Cups, competed in Division One varsity athletics at a top 10 program and gra- hey. and on track to graduate in three and a half years from university. I have had no issue with finding time to party and drink copious amounts throughout whether it's been in high school or in college. And have I ever drank too much, meaning thrown up from alcohol or something like that? Of course I have because everyone has. You can't so be a Supreme me, Court justice That now. just diminishes your credibility of a lot of things that you're going to say about your consumption of alcohol, because that is definitely related to these allegations in that night, because alcohol was present. If you're not even going to admit under oath in court that you have had or made any mistakes in your life, because that's just completely not believable. I think Kavanaugh's strategy should have been to humanize himself, to make people see that he's not perfect, but he's someone who would never do this, who was not raised that way, who wasn't that kind of guy. But instead, in my opinion, he portrayed himself as above even the notion of any of that, which I think went on to discredit a lot of his testimony and, for me, diminish his credibility. But, okay. Before the testimony, the whole narrative that was being sort of promulgated throughout the media was that, oh, Kavanaugh presented himself as a choir boy, but actually he was an alcoholic. So I believe that that the reason why he went to such great lengths to say, I like beer, I still like beer, I've always liked beer, is so that way he could not be accused of promulgating a false narrative. And again, I think that there are a lot of nuances in this debate. My interpretation of what he was saying when he was saying that, yeah, we all make mistakes, like we all accidentally drink too much, he was saying there have been lapses in judgment. There have been slurred words. There have been like, I'm going to be super hungover, but I've never gotten blackout drunk. I, and, and I think that those are different things. I think that there is drinking too much and then there's drinking way too much. And lots of people accidentally do both. And we're all humans. We mess up. But I think that Kavanaugh's actually, I think he served himself well by his presentation of his alcohol consumption, which secondarily I think that the anger about it, especially on the right, is just this sense that he's being scooter libbied. That this is becoming, it's devolving into this Kafkaesque trial where he's not on trial for actually assaulting a woman. He's on trial for 
his presentation of himself versus how much alcohol he actually consumed in college. And 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 again, like you were you were correct that like he should not lie under oath. I mean, it's illegal and also just bad for your credibility. But I think that on the right, the anger about this has been how is this relevant? And I think the only thing that is relevant, the only thing that is relevant is did you drink to significant blackouts? Because there's also a difference between drinking too much and choosing to go to sleep versus drinking too much, blacking out, and still like still being awake. And I think he's making the case that he never did the latter. And, and with regards to the Yale classmate that you cited, what she said was, I would have stayed on the sidelines if he had said, I drank to excess in high school, I drank to excess in college, I did some stupid things, but I never sexually assaulted anybody. Which is almost verbatim what Kavanaugh said under oath. He said under, so under oath, Kavanaugh said, I drank beer with my friends. Sometimes I had too many beers, sometimes others did. I liked beer, I still like beer, but I did not drink beer to the point of blacking out and I never sexually assaulted anyone. Those are almost identical statements. If we want to have a conversation about the nuances of is too much when you're slurring your speech or when you're making bad choices and texting your exes, then we can have that conversation, but I don't think it's pertinent here. I think the only thing that matters is did you black out or not? He says no. There's not really any, like, again, if there was another witness to say, oh, Brett would like ask me what happened last night. Then, then we start running into a credibility crisis, and then it begs the question: Could he have been blacked out for this for this occasion? But no one has said that yet. No one has said. No one has said specifically that he indicated that he did not recall the events of the night before. Well, maybe we'll see that as a result of the FBI investigation. But I think to me and to others that have known him um, throughout high school or throughout being his classmate at Yale, there was. I mean, a dozen statements that came out after the fact saying, quote, he grossly misrepresented and mischaracterized his drink drinking. He frequently drank to excess. I don't I know because I frequently drank to excess with him. Whether we know what to excess means, obviously, that's a different kind of litmus test for that. I will say his but weakest answer was was what does excess mean? The charts, the charts. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's that was to me the weakest where it's answer. Like, humanize yourself. OK, sure. Maybe it is true, although in terms of what I believe, it's maybe improbable from my opinion, and especially knowing some of the statements that have come out from people who knew him in his drinking days in high school and college, and the fact that he was in DKE, which like amongst the Ivy Leagues is a notorious partying um, Greek life fraternity. Just, he wouldn't have, it wouldn't have killed him if he just humanized himself a little more and admitted to a little more fault. When he was asked what does too much drinking mean in terms of trying to actually understand the ambiguity within that statement? He said, I don't know, whatever it says on the blood alcohol charts. And but at that and, point, and at that point you, he could have just said, you know, I was someone who would drink and swear my words or have the spins when I go to bed or feel queasy or I was someone who got really bad hangovers, but I always made sure that I was never the person to black out, never the person who didn't know where I was going. But when you become combative and when he kept trying to flip the question on, well, have you ever drank too much? That just shows yourself as so defensive. And honestly, but I again, think him being experienced in the courtroom would know and would have had better judgment in, in, in terms in, of how to characterize himself better. In all fairness, he did immediately apologize to Senator Klobuchar after that happened because he knew that that was out of line to then question a sitting senator who was questioning him. But consider... All of the other Supreme Court justices and the processes that, that they went through to get appointed, even Clarence Thomas, the, the scope of the invasiveness, the fact that he, in order to establish his own credibility, had to go on the record saying that he was a virgin in high school. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people who would like to publicly discuss the status of their virginity Winner if they lost it. I don't think that's something that anyone relishes talking about on national television, television, much less when you have children. So I understand the anger. Again, the, the thought experiment that I urge everyone to undertake is imagine absolute like hypothetical scenario. I'm not saying this is remotely true. Imagine that Dr. Ford is a sociopathic liar, made this all up. Kavanaugh never, ever, 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 ever did this, has never, ever, ever blacked out. There was not a shade of doubt in his mind that he never did this. You would be 
fucking apoplectic having to discuss the subtle nuances of what you did. Obama did coke when he was in college. And I remember when that got brought up. And even though I didn't like Obama, I sort of felt bad for him at the time because I'm like, it's college. It doesn't sound like he was ever aggressive when he was on it. Like, obviously, I don't want our president doing cocaine, like, while in office. But that's sort of invasive. It's invasive to talk about a president's sex lives if, like, it doesn't impede the office or if it doesn't demonstrate evil moral character. So to have to expose your entire life when you were basically in the running for a job. And again, I understand that we must investigate a claim of egregious sexual assault when it comes to someone who is our literal moral arbiter of justice in this country. That is what a SCOTUS justice is, you know? So I understand the need to investigate this claim. But the way that the Democrats have spun the talking points from, he definitely did this. Oh, wait, every single person at the party says that this never actually happened. But maybe he's this closeted alcoholic and maybe he doesn't remember. And maybe he was a slut in college. And maybe we can pin all of these other things on him. I understand why he would get the feeling that he was being scooter libbied in the most Kafka-esque fashion in modern American politics and be livid. As a final thought and just sort of just the overall just between the two testimonies, because now we'll we can get into the congressional and senatorial politics of it all. But between the two testimonies, Ford moving, consistent, credible, not backed by evidence. I have the utmost sympathy for her. I wish for her sake and for the country's sake that there were more evidence, because if Kavanaugh did this, I certainly do not want him on the Supreme Court. But I think it sets a absolutely terrifying standard if senators voted no on him, if he did not make it, because I'm not saying Ford is lying, but I'm saying that if Kavanaugh didn't get on the Supreme Court because of this, it would send a clear and compelling signal to bad political actors of the future that if you lob an evidence-free rape claim against someone running for an office that you don't like, that you could derail their political career. And that, to me, is the scary thing. And that has always been the scary thing. And I just think back to 08, when things were getting so ugly on the right with birtherism. If this tool had been proven effective, there is no way in hell it wouldn't have been used against Barack Obama. I agree with you that the potential precedent is definitely very troubling. Either way you slice it, either way you look at it. You can look at it as the fact of, well, now if we confirm this guy, we've portrayed the precedent that it doesn't matter if there is seemingly credible sexual assault allegation, if there isn't enough evidence, this guy's still making it onto the court. And then on the other side, you have the troubling precedent of the fact that this could open the door if he, is con- if he isn't confirmed. This could open the door for just nefarious people in life who want to deny the opposing political party of anything them fabricating allegations and stirring up controversy just to make it so that people are not appointed to the Supreme Court or any other form of uh, the any any other form of politics and 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 both sides in my opinion are troubling because at the same time someone this controversial and and the fact that this these hearings even began in the first place because was because there was some credibility to these allegations. And so the fact of not having all the evidence because it was so long ago, but still putting him on the Supreme Court and never knowing, did he do this or not? That is still troublesome as well. And so for me, I honestly don't believe, I don't necessarily believe that an FBI investigation is going to result in any conclusive- They don't even know when or where they're investigating In any conclusive- um, evidence that will be able to wrap this investigation into a nice bow and be able to, to say anything definitively on one side or the other. But I think what this investigation may reveal are character witnesses in which can speak to the defense that Kavanaugh gave in the hearings or can refute those. And I don't under, I don't know if the Senate is going to look into that and say, well, all of these people have come out and said that, for instance, he he basically downplayed the fact that he and his group of friends or Georgetown prep boys ever really hung out with girls from the school of Holton Arms, which was the school that Dr. Ford went to, when um, 
many other people who went to his high school have said Holton Arms was definitely part of our social scene. Um, a guy who was in the same class at Georgetown Prep as him. Um, Holton was as much as, of a sister school as any of the others. I mean, mind and, you, yeah. And like so, that so guy down Squee, who Ed Whelan falsely, or not falsely, but Ed Whelan baselessly accused of being the person who actually assaulted Ford, went to Georgetown Prep and was dating Christine Blizzy Ford. Exactly. So I don't under, I don't know if at a certain point Kavanaugh's lack of consistency in his responses or the holes that you can poke in some of these seemingly stupid white lies, if that's enough for people to say, I just don't like his character. Because for me, that's my biggest thing right now. I'm I'm not uh, very hopeful or I don't think that we are going to reach a definitive conclusion on these sexual assault allegations, as I've already said. But what I am questioning and what does raise definite eyebrows for me is the fact that he was willing to be a little deceitful about all these other things and I don't know in terms of just character reference if that's someone that anyone wants on the Supreme Court for me personally I don't know I think it makes things a little dicey I think someone who cares about the law and who's going to be adjudicating many obviously insanely important cases on the Supreme Court, you have to be someone who values the truth and values transparency. So I don't know. I think we'll see what happened, but I think if anything is going to come of this FBI investigation, it will be character witnesses. I don't know how heavily those are going to be weighed because at this point it seems like it's the only thing standing in between him and being confirmed as did he do it or not, not did he lie about other things or not. Yeah. And what's troubling is the fact that he would never definitively answer if he wanted an FBI investigation. Where for me, if I'm him, it seemed like obviously, rightfully so, again, I'll say, he was so angry about how this is, has affected his family, how this has, has affected his name. And I feel for him on that regard, especially if he's completely innocent. That's awful. But instead of this being hearsay, which has already resulted in public opinion just painting him as this awful person, even if he is completely innocent, why would you not want, and why would you not from the get-go be advocating for an FBI investigation which can clear your name? Because he himself, if this is hearsay, and that's how these allegations came to the point where they had a hearing and testimony in, in front of the judiciary panel, the only thing that can exonerate him is more evidence. Why wouldn't you be pushing for that? Because, okay... You're asking the FBI to investigate an event where we don't know the location, we don't know the date. Every single person who has already been asked to submit a statement under penalty of under the penalty of perjury has already said they don't recall this party ever happening. The Congress can legally do the same things as the FBI when it comes to investigatory power. And that there is no more evidence means we I mean, okay, this sort of forays us, I guess, into the more political block of this hour. We imagine how different things would have been if Dianne Feinstein received the letter, confidentially turned it over to the Senate Judiciary Committee, confidentially turned it over to the FBI, ordered them to confidentially investigate, and they found a conclusion. Either way, either way, either no evidence. Sorry. Christine Blasey Ford's name never goes public. She never gets these death threats. She still gets the opportunity to testify privately in front of the FBI. People still get questioned privately, but her name never makes headlines, which is her original goal. Let's say it's found that Kavanaugh more likely than not did it. Republicans withdraw his nomination and they replace him with someone else. Christine Blasey Ford's life goes on. She doesn't have to see her sexual assaulter on the bench or they find more likely than not he didn't do it. Her name still never goes public. He makes it to the bench. Diane Feinstein screwed the pooch so fucking hard on this one. I am voting for Kevin DeLeon, who is so far left of her, because the way I see it is California. We're always going to get garbage, like, leftist, like, senator. It's fine. She needs to feel pain for what she did, because she fucked over everyone. She fucked over Christine Blasey Ford by leaking I mean, okay, when she says, I don't know if my staff leaked it to the press, she didn't know she had a Chinese spy working in her staff for 20 years. <laughs> this woman is senile, incompetent, an absolute disgrace. A disgrace to the state of California. She is responsible for Christine Blasey Ford having to come forward, having to be 
harassed, having to get death threats, having to require 24-hour security over her home and over her children. She is, Diane Feinstein is solely responsible for this public evidence-free smear of Brett Kavanaugh, for him having to go on national television and discuss the status of his virginity. And she is more than anything responsible for one of the most politically divisive and needlessly so events in modern American politics. Again, she could have given this to the FBI two months ago. They could have investigated. They could have done so privately. And there could have been the exact same consequences for Kavanaugh without ever turning this into this bullshit political show trial. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe that Dianne Feinstein's actions are defensible. However, I also don't think that it is appropriate to blame all of Democrats. I'm not blaming all Democrats. No, I know, I know. But I know some people are. And I want to say that I don't think it's appropriate to blame the Democratic Party or to blame every single Democrat for what has gone on because Feinstein, to the best of our knowledge, acted independently. And one thing that is unfortunate about this and unfortunate about her actions is that Feinstein was one of the few Democrats left in the Senate who actually had the ability to work across the aisle and want to compromise. And since she carpet bombed herself into... Well, I've been quoted in the past on this podcast saying that uh, Feinstein's been quoted as saying that we don't need any more rabble rousers in Congress. We need people who are willing to work with each other. And I think, I, I know that Tiana and I fall in line with those sentiments as well because we definitely believe in regardless of opposing political opinions finding something that you can compromise on finding something that works for everyone because that's when government can actually work to work effectively when you can get bills and and legislation passed and so it's unfortunate that not only has she alienated herself through these actions as someone who had the respect previously had the respect of republicans in the senate but also in a way alienated the Democratic Party even more and exacerbated the already polarized state that America is in. Because if anything, I know a lot of Republican pundits are saying, well, if the left felt like they were rallied before this, now they just rallied the right. But again, I think this has served to rally both sides even more and created more heat and, and and more animosity. Do I think that these allegations could have been handled differently? Absolutely. But again, we're dealing with the here and now, we're dealing with the aftermath of these, and that's why I still stand at the position that I do now. I would have been totally okay with Kavanaugh not being nominated in July, early July, when these allegations were let known to um, the Congresswoman from Palo Alto and Dianne Feinstein, and just not been picked as the nominee. And frankly, regardless of these allegations, I don't even know why Kavanaugh was picked as a nominee from a strategic perspective on the Republican side. If you're looking at the dynamics in politics right now, how heated, how polarized everything is, and especially why the president's are you picking, specific optics problem Why with are women? you picking a guy like Kavanaugh, especially with the record he has had um, being in the uh, under the Bush administration? Um, in 2006, the American Bar Association um lowering their qualifications for him from well-qualified, which is, quote, by Lindsey Graham's quote, the gold standard to just qualified due to multiple judges stepping forward when he was being nominated to the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. Although, in all fairness, the ABA gave an, an, an A++ rating yes, when he was but nominated in, for SCOTUS. in 06, he... I'm, I'm just saying he's not the least controversial nominee there is, and I think at this time, you should have picked that. Okay, by contrast, by contrast, I think he was the very typical Republican nominee. He was not super extreme, very moderate, very Bush-era conservative, George W. Bush, personally calling senators, getting trying to whip votes. This guy was, what, what the radical choice would have been was a Multipar or Amy Coney Barrett. And I said from the beginning, choose Amy Coney Barrett. The optics of Democrats attacking a exactly. successful working woman with seven children on the grounds of her being Catholic. Because again, fucking Diane fucking Feinstein, in her questioning when she was... Um, when when she was going through her first federal judicial appointment, said, I don't know if you can judge fairly because the Catholic dogma lives loudly within you. The optics of that would have been amazing. It would have been good for Republicans going into the midterms. And instead, Trump chooses the white guy. And I exactly. have an animus towards white guys. But Trump knows that he has a woman problem. And he knows this. Well, also, though, with Democrats needing the female vote, 
you can't vilify a female Supreme Court justice nominee. The optics, as you said, are terrible. So I'm just thinking from all angles, regardless of these allegations, I don't think this should have been the guy to begin with. No, and no, with but, the con- but, but I know he's the these typical. Are separate, these are separate matters. So I no, I know, but have, I'm yeah. saying I'm just in, if we're talking about in hindsight, if we had another nominee, Democrats would not have had, and Feinstein in particular would not have had a card to play to try to stall this process. You I'm not denying the, the fact, card and it would have looked really. I'm bad. not denying the fact that Democrats, although no one should be quote happy about a sexual assault allegation, but I I don't deny that Democrats are definitely using these allegations to their advantage. No doubt about that. But had it been another nominee, Democrats would not have gotten this far installing, and I fully believe that. So that's all I'll say on the matter. But I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm sure yeah. Republicans are thinking of that of that right now. However, if Kavanaugh's nomination is thrown out, I do believe that Republicans will still get a, no- a nominee confirmed from the shortlist that they did have previously I mean, they, at the beginning if, of July. If, if Kavanaugh gets pulled out, I want Republicans to be so fucking ruthless, twist the knife so hard, Amy Coney Barrett all the way. I want them to be ruthless. Because if we're going to, if I mean, like, I think at this point, I mean, the best option for Republicans for, for the Republican Party, the best option is to pull his nomination and replace with Amy Coney Barrett. Because it will galvanize the base. Everyone will be super excited. She'll be Gorsuch 2.0. Which Gorsuch but, passed but, fairly but, easily. But it will be bad for the country. Because I believe the standard of evidence-free allegations, being able to derail someone's political careers, it will be a double-edged sword that will hurt Republicans and Democrats alike. And I'm and, and and the worst thing about it, and I think this sort of brings us just to the bigger picture of it all, the absolute worst thing about if Kavanaugh gets pulled, in my opinion, is I I have been combating on the right, and like my fellow conservatives, I've been combating a insensitivity towards rape victims and an insensitivity towards me too. I have been trying for almost a year now to explain why this is an issue we should care about. Why you can't be the pro-life party if you don't care about the dignity of human life. You don't care about the dignity of women. If Kavanaugh gets pulled, this will confirm this conspiracy in their heads that Me Too is just this anti-man, politicized movement that is not about justice. It's not about victims. It is about earning political points and wielding allegations as a weapon. Which would be and awful because that, that, that's not what it's about. And that it, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. And I have fought tirelessly from from everything that's been going on here in Los Angeles and at USC, the community that you and I I'm still adjacent to, you're still a part of, to national politics, the first episode in which I said, do not fucking vote for pedophile Roy Moore, even though that's a seat that would vote on the tax cuts that I want, on the judges that I want. Our dignity is not worth that. But this will be so destructive and ugly. I think that the only thing that is good for the country in which I think Democrats take a little bit of a hit. I think Republicans take a little bit of a hit if Kavanaugh gets, if Kavanaugh gets appointed, but I think that it will preserve some sort of sanctity of us having an evidentiary standard of justice and of us believing credible rape allegations when there's at least a shred of evidence so that's that's sort of like the bigger picture that I am so deeply concerned about. So for you, um, in the wake of this pending FBI investigation, for you, is the only thing that will cause you not to nominate, say you, you did have a, a Senate seat, would the only thing that would cause you not to nominate Kavanaugh be if the FBI can say, absolutely, it is our opinion through the conclusion of our evidence that he did this, or... For you, if character witnesses came forward and poked holes in his testimony and showed that he was misrepresenting certain things or lied about certain things, if a decent amount of people came forward and just made him kind of look like a little shady character, would that be enough for you not to confirm him? I mean, okay, so one note about the FBI. The FBI technically doesn't come to a conclusion. They just, like, present all the evidence. But it, what would not be enough for me is someone saying, I saw him, like, barfing at Yale. That's not enough for me. If 
they could point to in high school, oh yeah, no, there was a party where Kavanaugh judged this guy PJ and this girl Leland and this girl Christine were all there. If someone could point to that at the time, someone saying that at the time, oh yeah, no, I recall that. Or if someone's saying, oh yeah, I remember driving her to this person's house and we go through and we see the house matches the description and maybe one of the, I just need contemporaneous corroboration. Anyone who can confirm that this was talked about at the time, because again, I think I, I've reiterated this 10,000 times on Twitter, probably too many times on this podcast. And I apologize for reiterating it now, but it needs to be said. The overwhelming majority of people who accuse someone of sexual assault have absolutely nothing to gain and everything to lose. If she, if there's evidence that a sexual assault occurred at the time, that speaks volumes over evidence, evidence, I use air quotes even though this is a podcast, evidence that she told her therapist 30 years later, that is really different when he is a federal judge in the federal eye, when she knows that he might be a Supreme Court justice one day. So I would say what I would need in order to flip my vote from a yes to a no is a shred of contemporaneous corroboration. Be it she was at that party and Kavanaugh was also at that party, or she was at a party where the majority of those people were at that party, or she was really upset and she was she said that something bad had happened with two guys. These are all things that I think would contribute more to me believing it. But right now the only actual people you have that are witnesses say that the party never happened. And that's where it comes down to me. I I, I just think like if he's innocent, this is one of the biggest political hit jobs in modern American politics. And I'm not even saying it's her fault. I'm saying it's the way Dianne Feinstein handled this. It's the way it's being weaponized now. It's the fact that you have Kamala Harris fundraising off of a rape allegation. It is disgusting. I mean, no part of this is good. The Republicans acting gleefully like, we're finally united again because like all the never Trumpers and the always Trumpers are now finally united. Like, all right, that's good that we have the same evidentiary standards for sexual assault, but this is not good. So, no, no part of this is good. This is ugly and this is sad and I feel bad for everyone involved. So just to be clear, if there was evidence came that came forward that he perjured himself, even if that is as a result of what was said in his yearbook or what was said about him not throwing up from drinking... If there was evidence that he perjured himself from multiple affidavits from people, would that not be enough for you? Because that would be enough for me. I think if there is okay, hardcore evidence but, that right. he perjured himself. So you're saying if you just got like Scooter Libby, like the Bush era thing, where like he was on trial for one thing, but then wound up being indicted for like perjuring himself for something that was irrelevant. I know that wouldn't be enough for me because I think it's possible when it comes to alcohol, I think it's possible to accidentally perjure yourself. I think, I mean like the whole nature of blacking out is that you forget. I think it's very realistic that you can black out a few times, like, but temporarily like where you don't like pass out eventually. But I, I think it's possible for him to unknowingly have perjured himself. If, um, I, everything that I require to flip my, my belief that he didn't do it to he did do it in terms of the 50% bar has to be about that party or it has to be about the events surrounding that party. There has to be someone, just, just one person to say, yes, we all knew that a party happened where these people were there or it was my house. And I remember it that we don't have that. And that one of her friends, Leland Kaiser. Okay. I remember the last name now. So the fact that her own friend can't even say that she remembered that party I mean, I know we were talking about this earlier, but in terms of high school parties, all of the all of the big like like ragers we would throw just kind of all mesh together. A party with like a hundred people is the same as the next party with a hundred people. It's all like the little gatherings that I remember, especially if it's people I didn't know that well. And that's why I just find I'm just hard pressed to believe that these people would not remember this party at all. Especially, especially if, as Dr. Ford said, everyone other than Judge and Kavanaugh only had one beer. Wouldn't you remember it? See, again, for me, I think it's, again, with kind of all of these allegations and depending what side you fall on in terms of what you believe, it's all how you interpret it. Because for me, I would say from high school, it's more so those random little gatherings where you consumed a beer or two that were irrelevant to me that I wouldn't remember. And so that's why 
I believe it to be probable that they wouldn't remember just as kind of what with Dr. Ford said, it was an unremarkable night for them. Why would they remember? And and it's funny because obviously you or I are not too far out of being from high school. Um, and so when I was thinking about her testimony and, and just thinking about all the events and the allegations, I started to think about, are there any nights that I can specifically point out from high school? Or can I point out every high school party that I went to or every high school party that I drank at or gathering? And even me being, you know, four years out of high school, five years out of high school, that is still something that's extremely difficult to do. So I, I, it would be understandable for me why people 30 some odd years later can't point that out. And that's obviously why we need more evidence. Um, but again, I think we'll, we'll just see what comes of this. I do, to be clear, fall on the side that if, it is apparent that he has perjured himself for whatever reason, even it being a white lie in terms of having the integrity needed for the Supreme Court. That would be enough for me. But again, I can understand how people both view this differently, just as Tiana and I do. Yeah, I mean, I would urge everyone listening to this. I get this is an extremely heated discussion. I get that for a lot of women who have been assaulted. This brought up a lot of negative memories and emotions so I would just urge everyone just to be sensitive, understanding, and try, I think that we say this every week, but try and debate in good faith. Try and assume that, that your political opponents aren't just trying to score points, but are actually just working on different evidentiary standards, working on different disqualifying motions. So on that note, looking going forward, I guess that there is like this new FBI investigation Democrats say it will be limited to a week at the behest of Jeff Flake. I am dubious that this will happen. We will see what happens next week. But uh, in any case, I'm glad that this testimony happened because I know that lots of Republicans are saying you guys delayed too long. You should have just voted to confirm him. Ultimately, I think the American people need to feel like there was due diligence into a into a consistent, if not credible, allegation of sexual assault. And I think that everyone deserves to have confidence in our federal judiciary and in the highest court in the land. Well, one more thing that I want to touch on before we leave um, would be where do we go from here? I know that this has made politics even more heated. It has galvanized the fringe of each side and even just the base of each side. And so understanding how do we repair ourselves after this? How does political discourse repair itself how does the notion of believing that the other side is acting in good faith as you said repair itself because I don't think anyone can get anywhere and we, Tiana and I again talk about this all the time it's the ethos behind our podcast but I don't think anyone can get anywhere if you believe that the person you are debating with that the person you are trying to work to reach a conclusion with if you believe they are acting in good faith and don't have the best interests of the country or whatever it may be in mind and Given Lindsey Graham's statements at the hearing, he clearly doesn't think that of Democrats. And given some of Democrats' statements, they clearly don't think that of Republicans. And we need to find a way to move forward regardless of what the result is from this FBI investigation and from this confirmation process yeah. for Kavanaugh, whether he's confirmed or not. We need to find a way to move forward. And to be honest, it's very disheartening and frankly, it just sucks the fact that political leaders who are supposed to be some of the most highly educated, highly intelligent people in Washington, elected officials, that they seemingly, at least at this point, don't have it in them to try to move forward, to try to work and repair these relationships. If anything, especially with Lindsey Graham's statements, which I just think were very out of line, I can understand the anger, but I don't think, especially when you're saying that this is a circus orchestrated by the Democrats, why are you contributing to that? Be the bigger person. Is anyone in politics gonna step up, or any group of people in politics gonna step up and be the bigger person, say, you know what? I know things have been heated. I know you may feel Democrats like this is tit for tat with what happened with Obama and his vacant Supreme Court seat, but let's move forward because we have to find a way. This isn't about us. This is about the American people and giving them what's best. And right now it's too much about the individual and not enough about the electorate and the populace. So the anecdote that I will share that I think, that I think sort of distills everything we've been talking about actually has nothing to do 
specifically with the Supreme Court. So at USC, apparently there's this controversy. I still get people DMing me stuff constantly about SC because they know that I can talk about political things that they can't because there are, there are realistically, there are social punishments for if you speak out about some issues. So an organiza- a Title IX-based organization sent out a school-wide email about a, about a coffee mixer or something they were having, and they urged everyone to believe Christine Blasey Ford. And it's this organization that's supposed to be just about empowering and working on Title IX and victims' rights. And the email itself was just about believing Christine Blasey Ford. And some Price professor, um, Price is the public policy school, responded to this school-wide email noting that due process is still important and the final line of the email was was accusers sometimes lie and shit hit the fan at sc i definitely now, don't think he said now, that as eloquently as possible no so so okay so so a couple of notes about this one i disagree with the phrasing of his email and i would love to have a debate with, i'd love to have a chat with him i'd love to talk to him about how many people who accuse someone of sexually assaulting them on a college campus have anything to gain i'm not saying that no one does i'm not saying no women ever lie Women are fallible. Men are fallible. It happens occasionally. I also think that the majority of rape claims are true. Evidence, most statistical evidence goes to show this. Logically speaking, again, very little to gain. But the hoopla over this one email, the fact that all these protesters are staging all these solidarity marches and putting all this concerted effort for this one professor's scalp, when <clears throat> what happened not, not half a year ago it was unearthed that the campus, the sole campus gynecologist for three decades was molesting students. And one head ruled out of all that. So I, I actually stand corrected. There were two people associated with the health center that were fired and President C.L. Max Nikias. What about Ainsley Carey, who was responsible for brokering the, the silence negotiation in which they gave him a giant payout for him to remain silent about the issue? What about the heads of the Title IX office who knew that this had happened and who knew that he was bought out of the school rather than reporting it to the Department of Education and LAPD? I bring up this anecdote specifically to point out that we are reaching a dangerous point where our conversations about something as serious and life-threatening as rape and sexual assault have become political tools. These activists aren't saying we are going to protest every single day outside of the administration's office until these people are fi- these people who knew and were complicit in rape are fired. And instead they're calling for this one professor scalp. And I think that we're sort of seeing this happen at a, I think that there, I think the, the majority of people who are supporting Christine Blasey Ford are doing so because they believe her. And I believe the majority of people who are supporting Brett Kavanaugh are doing so because they believe him. But on both the right and on the left, we see a dangerous, submission to the politicization and the weaponization of rape. And this is a scary avenue we do not want to go down. Can it be repaired? Yes, I think with conversations like these. I think you need to get down to the nitty-gritty of what are your standards? Why do you believe this? And you have to be open. Honestly, like, I have not... I rarely check Facebook. I deleted the app from my phone. I check Facebook usually once a day. I've been checking Facebook not at all during these Kavanaugh hearings because I cannot... I, the, the divisiveness I'm seeing from people, I'm like, I don't even want to read your opinions right now because all you're doing from the right and on the left is you're just saying the other side is made of bad people. And you can't have, you can't go anywhere if that's your approach. Well, I think what the, for those who are campaigning for the midterms uh, upcoming in November, I think a major part of your platform and your campaign messaging has to be about acting in good faith and it has to be about willing to hear out all sides. I don't think, yes, I think the the fringe policy pleas um, are successful in making it through the primaries into outlefting or outrighting yeah. whatever opponent you're going against to get through the primary and be your party's nominee. But I think for the general and moving forward, once you are elected to office, what it really has to be about is, yes, I stand for maybe all of these decently far-left principles, these decently far-left ideals, or these decently far-right conservative ideals, but I am willing to hear out the other side, and I'm willing to work together. Because 
I don't think we should be electing people that are unwilling to work with the other side because at the end of the day, there's two parties in the U.S. and there's representation of both in Congress. You are going to have to work together to get things passed. And you're going to have to work together to compromise on behalf of the voting population or on, on behalf of the population in America. And so I think what that's going to take also is not only at a grassroots level, obviously the conversations that we're having just in terms of public discourse and changing that and changing how you interact with your fellow citizens about politics and about differ differing views, but at a federal level and just at a political institutional level, what it is really going to take is for certain senators, certain congressmen, certain political leaders to step up and say on the Senate floor, guys, let's stop this bullshit. Let's reach some deals here and let's figure things out. I no longer want to be sparring with you just for the sake of Twitter retweets or just for the sake of going viral with a video or just for the sake of tribalism. I'm and people need to reach that and, and elected officials need to reach that conclusion, obviously for themselves. But if the discourse and the animosity that has resulted as a result of this Supreme Court nominee have not shown the need for this more than ever, I don't know what will. And I hope people come to that realization. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we keep up this Kabuki theater, we will wind up with Trump versus Michael Avenatti in 2020. And I will put money on that. Something has to change. Otherwise that is the outcome. That is what we will wind up with. And I'm not saying as someone involved in politics and looking to run for office, you need to compromise your policy stances and your platform and what you believe to be the best version of America. If you believe the best version of America to be free healthcare and free college tuition, even though that's a far left movement, you I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you not to stand up for those and to not promote those ideas and not to promote your ideas on how you think you could get that to work. But what I'm saying is you can't be unwilling to work with anyone else. You can't be unwilling to work with people whose ideas don't fall directly in line with yours. And I mean, saying that, it seems so rational talking about it. And the fact that that's an irrational thing to do in politics these days, I think tells us everything we need to know about the current political climate we're in. And frankly, it's just extremely scary. It's, we are living in very interesting times. And I mean, I guess the fundamental philosophy of the show is there should not be I mean, sure, you don't want to invite the Richard Spencers or the Keith Ellisons into your coalition, but there's no reason why you can't find someone opposite side of the aisle, sit down, have a beer with them, and have a conversation. So on that note, I think uh, take it easy on the Twitter this weekend because obviously things are going to be as crazy on Monday as they were on Friday. Be empathetic and be willing to have a legitimate good faith conversation. And don't jump to conclusions. Yep. We'll see what happens. Um, again, I mean, I bet you our next podcast is going to be about this. It's funny. I don't think we've had a news story with right. how fast the news has been oscillating in the wake of 2016. I don't think we've had a story that has consistently been on our podcast on back-to-back -back weeks. But obviously, with something with the gravitas of the Supreme Court, uh, it's been necessary. So... Stay tuned. Um, we'll let you know if anything changes and maybe we'll come out with another podcast should anything break. Uh, however, again, thank you guys so much for your support. Follow us, like and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. And as always, you can look at us on thepoliticalpregame.com and reach out to us on Twitter at Tiana the First and at Avery Hogarth. Thank you. Mm -hmm.